Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host. We are still in the period of the fast that prepares us for the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, which is on June 29th. As you might recall, if you've listened to this program for any length of time, during the liturgical year in the Byzantine calendar, there are several fasting periods or penitential periods. I like to call them mini-Lents. And we are in one of them. It's a 40-day period of spiritual preparation, and therefore a period of repentance and fasting in preparation for the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. Now, the fasting is voluntary, but highly recommended. Basically, it's no meat or dairy products on Monday and Wednesday and Fridays. And, of course, as always, increased prayer, contemplation, quiet. You see, whenever we pull back from something, we do that not just for its own sake. We do it so as to replace it with something else. Whether it's time or an activity or food. For example, when we fast from food, it just doesn't mean we don't eat. It means we abstain from certain foods, and that gives us a chance to have maybe even better foods or healthier foods in their place. Same thing with time. We pull back from things that we like to do or fun to do, but many of those things can be, well, more or less, let's face it, sometimes wastes of time. (laughs) So we pull back from that and replace those times with something more spiritual, something more life-giving. Not that our leisurely activities are bad. In fact, we need those things. But let's face it, there's a lot of things. Even if it's one less text that you send, five minutes less that we spend on the phone with our iPhones and iPads or TV or whatever, our gadgets, open that space up, whether it's a minute, five minutes, an entire day, a half a day, whatever. We open up that space in our lives to replace it with something more life-giving. So let's embrace this fasting period, this preparation for the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul, which happens on June 29th, and do it for a reason. Offer it up for yourself, a personal intention, or I might suggest for the state of the world, a state of our nation. You know, remember in the Bible, 
in the book of Jonah, when the Ninevites fasted and they wore sackcloth and ashes that went into repentance, they saved their nation. So I suggest that we offer up our fasting period of, for Saints Peter and Paul on behalf of our nation and even the world, world peace and so on. So embrace this penitential period leading up to the Feast of Saints Peter and Paul. I think we have all the more reason to offer up penance and prayer for the cause of the world, of peace and unity. You know, our program here, Lay of the East, is dedicated to unity in the church, but that also means unity among people. And recently, there was another development relative to Hagia Sophia, that great church, that mother of the Byzantine church, which is now a museum in Istanbul, formerly Constantinople, and before that, it was the city of Byzantium. But there was built in that city, way back in the 6th century, the most magnificent church ever wrought by the hand of man and under God's inspiration. Now, I just mentioned that it's a museum, but there's a new development, which is precisely why I'm bringing it up today on our program and asking for your prayers. There's an article from Greek Europe Reporter by Philip Chrysopoulos, dated June 6, 2016, and this is what the author says. The morning prayer from the Quran was read at Hagia Sophia in Istanbul on the first day of Muslim Ramadan, Monday, June 6th, in the presence of Turkey's General Secretary of Religious Affairs. The former Byzantine church that now serves as a museum will turn into a mosque for the next 30 days, and the Quran will be read daily until July 5th, when Ramadan ends. Religious state channel TRT Dianet will be broadcasting daily at 2 p.m., from Hagia Sophia. The fact that the former Christian Orthodox Church that for the past 80 years has operated as a museum and now turns into a mosque for one month has touched a sensitive nerve with Christian Greeks and has been criticized broadly. I might add, in my own words, it has touched the sensitive nerve of those of us here at Light of the East. Okay, I'll go on with the article. However, no official complaint was voiced from the Greek government. The lack of official reaction has prompted criticism from conservative opposition party New Democracy. Quote, the decision of Turkish authorities to schedule the Koran reading in Hagia Sophia for the next month has virtually transformed it into a mosque for the first time in 80 years. It is a provocative and incomprehensible act and shows disrespect against Orthodox Christians across the world and is not in line with Turkey's European course, unquote. This was said in a joint statement by the coordinator of foreign affairs and defense of new democracy, Dora Bakyanis, and head of the party's foreign sector, Johannes Kefalagianis. The conservative party also calls on the foreign ministry to take appropriate action immediately and criticize the ministry for its lukewarm, defeatist policy of not displeasing anyone and being good to everyone. Again, this article is from the Greek Europe Reporter, article by Philip Chrysopoulos, June 6, 2016. As I mentioned, this hit a little nerve, not only in the Orthodox Christian world, but in our world here at Light of the East. As you know, we're dedicated to unity in the church. We've talked about Hagia Sophia, and we're going to talk about it again today. It's actually an inexhaustible subject because it is, as I mentioned, the greatest church. But not just physically, but what went on there for centuries and what it symbolizes even today. As I mentioned, it is a Christian church built by Christians, Byzantine Christians. It was 
taken over in the 15th century by Islam, and they turned it into a mosque because they believed they were entitled to it as a spoil of war. It was a sign of their victory over the Byzantine Christians. But the fact of the matter is, just because you take something and call it yours doesn't mean it is yours. It belongs to Byzantine Christians. It really, if anyone should be praying in there, it should be the patriarch, the Greek Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox patriarch as well as any Christians, quite frankly. Anyone should be able to pray in any church, but primarily it should be the church turned back over to the Greek Orthodox Church. And the main prayer in there should be the magnificent liturgy of the Eastern churches, unbridled, unthwarted. Now, as we heard from the article, the Muslims will be able to have their opportunity to pray in their way in that church, which they believe is a mosque because it was turned into a mosque, at least by Islam. It does not mean that it is a mosque. It does not mean that it belongs to Islam, even if they do believe that. To keep the peace, in modern times, the government of Turkey turned Hagia Sophia into a secular institution, a museum. That way, any fighting over it between Christians and Islam would stop because it belongs to neither, at least according to the government. Now, in my heart, and in reality and truth, that is the great Byzantine Christian church. It belongs to the Byzantine Christians and should be available for prayer all over the world. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. As we strive for unity in this program, largely between the two lungs of the Catholic Church, East and West, largely between the two lungs of the Church, East and West, that includes the Orthodox and Eastern Catholic Churches, and of course the Latin Rite Church, we also seek to have unity and work toward unity between peoples, because peoples and cultures are connected with churches and religious beliefs. And so it is worth saying here on Light of the East, because of our mission, that we are touched by this recent event. We don't begrudge anyone wanting to pray, but it is important to stand up for what's right, because there can be no ecumenical relations, no ecumenism, no reaching over the great abyss of disagreements, unless there is truth and honesty. So we say what we say here today in light of the East in the interest of unity, not division, but unity. Part of the route to unity is honesty. And the honest truth about this great church in modern-day Istanbul, it'll always be Constantinople to me, modern-day Istanbul, the truth about this church is that it was built by the Byzantine Christians for worship to the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It should belong to them, In truth, it belongs to them, and it should be returned to them. Anyone can be welcome to pray, but ultimately, it is a Byzantine Christian church. It is not, in truth, in truth, a museum or a mosque. Even though it's proclaimed that on the secular level by man's power, in God's eyes, I believe, and in truth, it is a Byzantine church. It ought to be returned to the Byzantines and used as a Byzantine church. We're going to talk more about Hagia Sophia itself and why it is so important, why any church is so important, especially in Byzantine spirituality, when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East, 
Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at ByzantineCatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. We're talking about the Great Church of Hagia Sophia. We've talked about it before, but as I mentioned, it's inexhaustible. Hagia Sophia means holy wisdom. Now, this church that is in Istanbul today, that is now a renewed source of controversy, actually, it's the third church of its kind on that spot. The first building, which was a classical church with stone walls, three Three arch vaults and a wooden roof was demolished by the people of the town at the time. It was during a riot which burst out upon the exile of St. John Chrysostom, the Patriarch of Constantinople in 404 AD. Now, I don't justify violence, but sometimes I do like to, tongue-in-cheek, at the same time, with a little bit of seriousness, talk about these as the good old days. It's like the days of the Arian heresy, when there was so much unrest in the streets over the issue of whether Christ was really divine and human. Constantine, the emperor, had it called the Nicene Council together to settle the matter. Well, similar type of thing here. Their beloved patriarch, John Chrysostom, gets exiled, and so the people riot. Not that we should riot, but demonstrations for reasons like that, to me, is something I'd like to see happen in our day. Okay, a little bit more about Hagia Sophia. The second Hagia Sophia was ordered by Theodosius II to be built. The new church had five arch vaults and a wooden roof, and religious services began there in 415 AD. 
A part of the second church building, which was excavated in 1935, is approximately two meters deeper than the entrance floor at the west side of the present church. They excavated many things over the centuries and are finding more and more treasures in this great building of Hagia Sophia. See, what happened was, during the iconoclast controversy, which ended finally in the ninth century, that was the controversy in which they said that we cannot have images, that there was a heresy. So they destroyed images and they beat up and even hurt and killed the people who made images, such as iconographers. So Hagia Sophia had images and then they were removed or covered up. Then they were restored again after the 9th century. And then again in the 15th century when Islam overtook Constantinople, renamed it Istanbul, once again the figures, the imagery in Hagia Sophia, the magnificent art, was covered up, whitewashed. Little by little in modern times, in the most recent years, it's being revealed again. They're uncovering this art because of nothing else, whether you're a Muslim or Christian or an atheist or whatever you are, if nothing else, these are very valuable pieces of work which do invite tourism. Now, these images, most of them, were done, as I mentioned, after the iconoclast heresy finally was resolved. And some of these images are, well, most of them actually are just absolutely magnificent. They are mosaics. Most of them are mosaics. And you can tell the different eras of the art because there are some pieces of art which are not as sophisticated as others. Those that are less sophisticated in Hagia Sophia are so because they occurred rather soon after the iconoclast heresy, where a lot of the artists that knew how to do these things were driven out and killed and persecuted. So there's a time when the real classic art of the Byzantine era had a little bit of a decline because they just didn't have the knowledge of the artist because it wasn't being passed down because of the heresy. Eventually, though, they were able to have a renaissance, a renewal of the Byzantine art. And this came later, like in the 12th, 13th centuries. And you'll see some of that art in Hagia Sophia. Holy Wisdom, the great Byzantine church, the mother Byzantine church of the world in Istanbul. There's another church nearby, which I consider to be the Eastern Church's answer to the Sistine Chapel, and that's called the Kora Museum. Again, they call it a museum. It was actually a monastery and called Kariya Jami. And Kora means in the country or on the outskirts of the town. It's a beautiful monastery, ancient monastery. And in that monastery are mosaics and frescoes, which again, they continue to uncover, which are of the finest quality, just absolutely exquisite art. As I mentioned, to me, it reminds me of the, like the Eastern version of the Sistine Chapel. If you have a chance to visit Istanbul, formerly Constantinople, I would highly recommend that you do. In fact, you can do that on some of the trips offered by our good friend Jack Fingal, the Orientavi Lumen trips that he often takes to Turkey and Rome in which you can see these magnificent churches. These churches are important, not only culturally, as a symbol, as we're talking about here. Their Hagia Sophia is now rather symbolic of a sensitive issue, because since Islam is being allowed to pray in Hagia Sophia once again, they have been allowed to in 80 years, that, of course, strikes Christians in a very painful way. It strikes me in a painful way. 
So there's a great symbol to these churches, a great symbol of historical realities, historical occurrences and facts, hurts that have gone on over the centuries. But there's another reason why the edifice itself is significant in the Eastern churches and why we would fight over them or disagree over them. Although I'm not advocating fighting, at least not in a physical fist-fighting way. I am advocating fighting in a sense of standing up for what is right, for what is sacred, sacred to us as Christians. The church building, the place of worship, first of all, was mandated by God himself. We read about it in the Old Testament. He gave instructions for the meeting tent, the dwelling place where he would encounter Moses in the cloud that would fill the meeting tent. But later on, God gave instructions, specific instructions on how to build the temple. So when God wants to be worshipped, he tells us how, and he tells us what kind of building to build for his worship, down to the last detail. And when Christianity came into being through Christ, they essentially adopted the basic format and style of the biblical temple. But then it became modified according to now the belief of Christianity, which, of course, was the perfection of the Old Testament. So they took the Old Testament temple, the way it was laid out and constructed, its meaning, the different meaning of the different zones in in the temple itself, and they adapted that to now the Christian spirituality, the Christian theology of Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection commemorated in the Eucharist, the source and summit of our faith. The building, besides being mandated by God, is something that makes heaven present on earth, even in the way the architecture is designed. This is especially true in the Eastern churches, especially the Byzantine church. Eastern theology has a starting point of the transcendence of God, the utter magnificence of God, his outerness, his otherness, his awesomeness. At the same time as Byzantine theology does, it's very both-and, this God who is so out there, so other, is at the same time very imminent. He comes down to earth. He bends the heavens, as the Byzantines say. In order to express that, and Byzantine theology is very expressive of its belief, in order to express that, the Byzantines came up with the style that we know today is the basic classic style of Byzantine places of worship, Byzantine temples, churches. And that is a dome that intersects basically a cube because the cube represents the earth, four sides, meaning north, south, east, west. Even though the earth is round, basically, it's symbolic of the four corners of the world. And the dome is symbolic of the heavens being bent down by God's mercy, his incarnation, as he comes down to earth and takes on human form while remaining God. So you intersect a dome with a cube, and you have from that sweeping arches and pendentives, architectural motifs that are characteristic of a Byzantine, a classically designed Byzantine church. The art of the Byzantine church and the architecture are absolutely wedded together. It's as though the architecture were designed for the art. The pendentives, these are those splayed areas, like large triangular shapes inside the church. They're in the corners of the church, up by the ceiling, by the edge of the dome, where the dome would meet the walls of the church, the nave of the church. 
And those pendentives look as though they're holding up the dome. On those pendentives are painted, and must be painted, the four evangelists. You see, the artwork in a Byzantine church goes according to importance. The size and the placement goes according to importance. The prominent areas of the architecture are reserved for the most prominent and important icons, such as the ceiling is Christ the Pantocrator, the all-powerful ruler, the awesome one, a huge looming figure of Christ in heaven, surrounded by the angels singing the ongoing liturgical hymns and liturgy of heaven. That's the principal icon that fills the dome or ceiling of the church, and it's huge, it's looming, purposely so. As I mentioned, then, there are the pendentives which the four evangelists are painted on. The next most important icon would be what's called the platitera, meaning more spacious than the heavens. It's an icon of the mother of God with Christ in her womb. And we say of her that not we say of her that he whom not even the heavens could contain was contained within the womb of a virgin, making her more spacious than the heavens. That icon is placed in a prominent place over the altar in the sanctuary, on the east wall of the sanctuary in a Byzantine church. Every part of the architecture of the Byzantine church calls for a particular icon. And in this way, the art and architecture of a Byzantine church is wedded together, giving us the sense of heaven on earth. And this is one reason why the church is important. The building itself is important. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!